So we're in week three, uh, four of our series, Right in the Eye, and we're looking in the book of Judges. Uh, we, uh, we've talked about several things. We've looked at the end of Judges. We've looked back to Joshua as it begins Judges. And today we're going to uh, meet a new guy. But um, I want to uh, I want to start off with a question. And here's the question. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? What do you do when your body wants something and your heart knows I shouldn't do that? And most of you in here, if you're above the age 12, you have some stories when you made the bad choice, right? You had a season of life when you did some dumb things. Maybe you had a bad spring break. Maybe you had just a bad night. I don't know what your deal is. But most of us know that we make wrong choices when we go with what our body wants over what our heart knows is right. Now, the way you answer this question is going to be determined by whether you are living inside out or outside in. Last week we talked about this, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of conscience. It is inside out. Bible says that we can have, we have the spirit of God living in us. If we're believers, Bible also says we can have the mind of Christ. So you can know what's right and what's wrong. If you'll listen, God will tell you and you can live from the inside out. That's the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of everybody else is a kingdom of covet. I look and I see what they want, or I try to do what they tell me to do. And so it's a, it's an in, it's an outside in there's pressure on me to do what everybody else is doing. And we make bad decisions when we, when we choose to do what everyone else does. So the way you answer this question, what do you do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong? The way you answer this question will determine the direction of your life. It will determine whether you become a fully devoted follower of Christ or if you become just like everybody else. Now, Israel is in the promised land and this should have been the best days of their lives, but it was some of the worst in the history of Israel. They would, they would disobey God. They would get in trouble and then they would call dad to help them out because who do you call every time you violate? Violate the rules that you know are right. You call the person whose rules you violated. Dad, I'm in jail. Mom, I need some help. He he left me. I'm pregnant. You call the person whose rules you violated. And that's what Israel was doing over and over and over in the book of Judges. They were looking around. They wanted to do what everybody else was doing. They got in trouble. And then at the end, the very last verse in the book of Judges is chapter 21, verse 25. And it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now they did have a king. He was an invisible king, but they start looking around and doing what everybody else is doing. And eventually they start saying, we don't, God, you're not good enough. We don't want an invisible king. We want a human king, just like everybody else. Got him in all kinds of trouble. Um, so a little over halfway through the book, in, in chapter 13, we meet one of the judges you've probably heard of. There are 12 judges in the book. There's two you may have heard of. How many of you have heard of Samson? All right. All right. Woo. How many of you heard of Gideon? Gideon's next week. We'll talk about Gideon next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about uh, Ruth and Boaz, which is actually the, the book of Ruth comes after Judges. So um, you've heard of Samson, and, and uh, it's about halfway through the book before we meet him. And, and I want you to see how God introduces his story, starting in, in chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Okay, l- let me explain this. Because the idea is what they were doing was perfectly acceptable in their own eyes. It was perfectly acceptable to the society in which they live. But sin, the definition of sin, is violating what God says is right. So they did evil in God's eyes. And and see, here's the problem with our nation. Here's the problem with our church and people in our church. Your sin may not violate your own conscience because you may not have a very sensitive conscience to the Holy Spirit. Your sin may not violate 
the, the norms of the people you hang out with. But sin, as defined by the word of God, is to violate God's principles. It's to do what is wrong in God's eyes. And so, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you have to determine what's right for you. Well, what they're really saying is, you can do what's right in your own eyes. That is, That violates every scriptural principle that we've ever talked about. You don't get to do what's right in your own eyes if you're a follower of Christ. Because he's Lord, that means he's boss. He gets to tell you what's going on. So they did evil in the Lord's sight, and look what happens. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Now, even though God allowed them to be dominated by the Philistines, God was working behind the scenes because God is always at work. Jesus said, my father is always at work. God's always working. We just don't see it because we're doing what's right in our eyes. When we do what's right in God's eyes, he opens up us, our eyes spiritually. We can see what he's doing. So look what happens. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So an angel appears. And how many people do you know in scripture that an angel appeared and, and predicted their birth. Four. Yes, thank you for playing. Four. All right, so Abraham, an angel appeared to Abraham and said about this, you're going to have a son and the whole nation is going to come through him. So Isaac was the first one. Samson is the second one. An angel appears to Manoah's wife. Later, he appears to Manoah as well. And he says, you're going to have a son. So there's two. John the Baptist, his dad, uh, Zachariah, was in the, he was a priest. He was in the, the tabernacle. Um, he was in the temple and, and an angel appeared to him and said, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. And it's a great story if you read about that in, in Luke chapter one. And then John Jesus Christ. So you got, you got Isaac, you got Samson, you got John the Baptist, you got Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good list of people to be in, right? Angel appears and says, you're going to have a son. Pick it up in verse five, five, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue. He will begin. This is, this is a change in, in what's happening in, in Judges. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So God told them about this Nazarite vow. And if you want to read about it, it's in Numbers chapter 6. But basically there's three things that, that were going on. They were outward symbols of what's going on on the inside. And usually it was a temporary vow. So somebody would say, I need God's presence so much. I need God's wisdom so much that I'm going to take a Nazarite vow for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. Or in really extreme cases, it would be a year that they would take this vow. Here are the three outward symbols that, that they were so serious about God. First of all, no grape products, no grapes, no grape juice, nothing made from grapes, nothing fermented from grapes. He was not even to let a grape touch his skin. Got it? No grapes. Thank you. Second thing, no touching dead things, dead people, dead animals, dead bugs were considered unclean. So no touching what? No grapes, no dead things. Third thing, no cutting your hair. In Samson's case ever, in in the case of someone who took a temporary Nazarite vow at the end of 30 days, you could cut your hair at the end of 60. Whatever your vow was, the, the time, that's when you could cut your hair. Now, the other interesting thing about this is Samson didn't choose the Nazarite vow. Everybody else chose the vow voluntarily. Samson's mom was told before he was even conceived, your son will be a Nazarite from birth. And so they tell him and, and they say, you're special to God. You were dedicated to God from the moment he's born. So you would think Samson is one awesome dude, wouldn't you? An angel predicted it. And then, then you would be wrong because in the book of judges, there's not, there's no one as flawed as Samson in the book of judges. 
See, he was violent, impulsive, sexually addictive. He was, he was very immature. He was, um, selfish. Other than that, he was a great judge. Just, just a great character. See, his problem was women, specifically Philistine women. Philistine women dressed more seductively. They advertised more than, than, uh, Jewish women. And it would be like, the, the comparison would be like the average American woman compared to how Muslim women dress. These women were very open with their sexuality. In fact, they worshiped the Baal and Asherah and Baal and Asherah were fertility gods. And they believed that, that part of the way you pleased those gods was to have sex. So they had temple prostitutes. That's that, I guess that's a good way to get men to come to church, but it's not really a good way to please God. Right? I mean, this is just bizarre. Ooh. And so they said, oh, if we have sex, then Baal and Asherah, they will be pleased with us. And they had all kinds of rituals that God said was forbidden. God said, don't you dare live like them. Don't you associate with them. See, God's message has always been, don't mess with idols. Don't mess with people who are far from me. And, and, and the reason God doesn't want you to go after strange gods or cozy up to sin is because you will be bitten by a strange God. You will be bitten by sin every time, 100% of the time. All right, we pick it up in chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a Philistine woman. Now, Samson's, his hometown was in the hills, so he, he literally went down to Timnah. And this is the first problem that Samson has. He goes down to Timnah. He goes down spiritually, he goes down physically, he goes down morally. Timnah was was a Philistine city about four miles from where he lived. And if you're a dude who has lust problems, you're probably going to go to Timnah. You're going to go check out the Philistine women. So he goes down. And if you want to ruin your life, you go hang out places that you know you're not supposed to be. You go hang out with people whose morals are lower than yours, whose spirituality is less than yours. You go down every time you choose to go someplace every week. And the result is you're far from God and you don't even know it because you went down. You chose morally to go down. Verse two, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me. Now see back then the dad was supposed to be in the charge, but evidently not here. See, not only did, did Samson go down, he went down to Timnah, but then his second problem is he looked around. Ooh, you know what happens every time you go down morally, you see something God never intended for you to see. You meet people that God never intended for you to meet and you will be bitten by your sin. We should know better, but we don't go down to Timnah, go down and look around and you're going to get in serious trouble. Verse three, his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? See, they were from Southern Israel. Some of you catch that later. Must you go? Get, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? See, circumcision was a, was a symbol between the man and God that I'm in covenant with God. Should you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's right for me. What he's really saying is she is right in my eyes. She looks good. She's right for me. I don't care what you say, dad. I don't care what God says. I want her. And see, when, when he's, when the parents are trying to talk him out of marrying a Philistine girl has nothing to do with interracial marriage. 
A lot of people violate the scripture to try to say that you shouldn't marry interracially. Nothing in the scripture says that. What it says very clearly in the Old Testament and the New Testament is don't marry interfaith. Why? Because in that culture, you were required to accept their gods. It's what happened to Solomon. Solomon starts out as the wisest man on the planet. He ends up as the biggest idiot in the scripture. Read it. And the the Bible says he was caught. His wives' gods were a snare to him. Read Ecclesiastes when he says, I tried everything and life is just futile and it's chasing after wind. It's because he had 300 wives, 800 concubines, and he's required to accept their gods. This has everything to do with don't you be, the New Testament says, don't you be unequally yoked. That means a Christian should never marry a non-Christian. A Christian should not even date a non-Christian because you will be trapped. By their God. Even if they are an atheist, they worship something because you're a created being. And even an atheist, an atheist thinks they're smarter than everybody else. So they're either worshiping their own mind or they worship another atheist. Well, this man says, and they worship him because you worship something. Don't go down. Don't look around. And see, then, you know, (laughs) Samson says, I want her. I'm living from the outside in. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you see that this story ends badly. He goes down and he has this party. It's a drinking party for a week. And he throws this, this riddle out to the people, to the guys who are his attendants. And they can't figure it out. He humiliates them. So they pester his fiance. She finally tells the story. Well, so uh, Samson gets mad because they had pestered. He said, you shouldn't be plowing with my heifer. Guys, don't ever call her a heifer. Uh, that's, that is not okay. Don't say it's in scripture. That's just a, that's just a problem. You're going to be coming to me for counseling. And I'm going to say, she's right. Smack right in the name of Jesus. So he says he gets mad because they, they forced her to tell them the answer to the riddle. And then he goes out and he burns their fields. See, he goes home pouts and then he comes back and he finds out that, that the father-in-law said, well, he left mad. He was going pouting. That's a great idea. He gave his fiance to another woman. And Samson said, because you gave her to another woman, I'm going to burn all your fields. So then he burns down all of their grain and all of their fields around. And then they say, who did that? They said, Samson did it. And they said, why would Samson do that to us? And he said, because his father-in-law gave his fiance to another man. The Philistines did what was right in their eyes. They took the father-in-law and they took the daughter and they burned them alive because of their association with Samson. It just didn't work out. They did what was right. So when they burn him alive, then he gets really mad and he comes back and does, it's just crazy. The story ends unbelievably. And you would think that Samson would learn his lesson. Nope. Another time he goes to Gaza. He doesn't go just down to Timnah. He goes to Gaza. Timnah was four miles. Gaza was the capital of the Philistines. Goes there and he sees a prostitute because that's what a man of God should do. Let's go hang out with a prostitute. This dude was seriously addicted to sex. And so the, the leaders find out about it. They surround the city. They're going to kill him. And then somebody, somehow Samson finds out that they're around. So he goes out and he rips the gates off. Now, I don't know if you've seen these gates. These are massive gates. Hundreds of pounds. God allows him to have the superhuman strength to rip it off. And that would be good enough if he just ripped the gates off. Dude carries it 38 miles to Hebron. I think he just threw it down, you know, stood it up there. That's what I think of your gates. Up to this point, his life was uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled lust, and destruction everywhere he went. And did he learn his lesson? No. We wouldn't be talking about it if he did. Now, let me stop right here and let me, let me point this out. In the, in the book of Judges... They would disobey God. There would be disaster in their, in this, in their, that would come upon their country. And then they would cry out to God and God would rescue them. Halfway through the book of Judges, they stopped crying out to God. 
They just accept their slavery. In this instance, they never cry out to God. You cannot tell the difference between the Israelites and the Philistines because they were just like everybody else. And you would think there would come a point where, where Israel would go, God, help us. We're tired of being slaves. They never get tired of it, but God does. And God begins a plan to rescue them before they ever cry out. And, and if you think about this, it sounds an awful lot like while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you ever thought about asking God to save you, God provided a way to save you. That's what our good God does. Now, at this point, he meets the woman that everybody's heard about, Samson and Delilah. And when you read the story, you are to, if you're not a believer, there's, there's several people that come every week that aren't believers. If you're not a believer and you read this whole story, it's chapter 13 through chapter 16 of Judges, you're going to be tempted to think, there's no way this is true because there's no way any man could be so stupid. Is it possible for a man to be so inflamed sexually that he makes dumb choice after dumb choice after dumb choice? Yes. And here's the sad thing. I've been a minister for 32 years and, and the more stories I hear, the more I, I think Samson's common. He's not the exception to the rule. It's, it's very, very common. And so, okay, ladies, let me just tell you something. Ladies, men are very simple. I'm going to help you out today. No matter how old you are as a lady, I'm going to help you out. There's three things men need. Only three things. We need food, we need sex, and we need an occasional pat on the back. That's it. I mean, so, so like, you know, your guy needs you to come out and watch him play softball or football, you know, and, and when you make a nice catch, this is so my testimony, um, make a nice catch and Janie goes, Oh, that was so good. You're the man, you know, and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) right. That dude should not have tested your arm. I know, man. Did you see that? I threw him out of home base. Got him. Nailed that sucker. You're so good. Go do it some more and get a job, you know? Take life seriously because, yeah, you're good, but sports isn't... Uh... 51 years old, and I still love it when my wife goes and watches me play softball, even though I can't make it around the bases without pulling my hamstring. That happened twice last year. I'm just telling you. That's all we need. And if we have to make a choice, we will starve to death. I'm speaking the truth. Yeah, Travis was falling off of his chair laughing back there earlier for the first service because he knew, you know that's right. Now, ladies, before you, because th- ladies were going, mm-hmm, yeah, get him, Doug, get him. Well, it's your turn. Because the reason men are so stupid is because you participate in the game. Mm-hmm. Ladies, you are so naive, or maybe I should say insecure, but we're going to go with naive so you don't get quite as offended yet. You're going to be real offended by the time we finish, so just get ready. If you believed in evolution, this one thing right here should show you that evolution is not true because if evolution were true, women would never fall for the lies of men. So let me give you some of the lies or the lines that men feed you. We should take this to the next level, baby. If you notice the next level is never going up, it's always going down. You mean we should go to church? Yeah, let's go to church, baby. 
I'll hold your hand in church. Praise God. Nope, it's take your clothes off, let's have sex. That's what he means. If you love me, prove it. If you love me, shut up. (laughs) Moron. Here's my favorite. God wouldn't have given me this desire if he didn't want me to fulfill it. Let's blame God for your lust, right? Idiot. We need to find out if we're sexually compatible. Ladies, you find a man who's fallen after God and you'll figure out sexual compatibility. Right? Just being real. Marriage is just a piece of paper. I love you. And if you love me, ladies, whatever you need to hear, a dude will tell you so that he can have sex with you. So let me give you some free advice, ladies, as if I just didn't. Because when this is what I hear all the time. I've heard it from, from when I was a youth minister. I'm a pastor now. I heard this all the time. I love him. Okay, so then, then here's the question I want to ask you. What do you love about him? Well, he looks so good in those jeans. His butt and his gut will change. I'm telling you, over 25 years, I weigh about 30 pounds more than I did when I got married. If the only thing, if, if it's just lust for you, you're going to, you're going to wake up one day and your marriage, if it succeeds, if it survives, it's going to be bad because it's based on the wrong thing. So let me give you some, some stuff right here. If there's nothing great about him, you're better off without him. You should just practice saying that over and over ladies. Look in the mirror. If there's nothing great about him, I'm better off without him. Right? Second thing, if he can't afford to marry you, he can't afford you. And then I should have put this on your listening guide. I want you to write this down, ladies. I don't care if you're married, single. I don't care if you're 12 or not. Write it down, ladies. I am worth affording. When you think you're not, that's when you'll give in to sex. Because a man is going to tell you that sex makes you valuable. Which leads me to the third one. Well, let me tell you this. Anybody who asks, who says, who feeds you the line, we need to find out if we're sexually compatible is either stupid or lying. And men are stupid and we're liars. Yes. So here's the, here's the thing. God designed your body to be dessert, not the appetizer. Now y'all think that's funny? Ladies, you keep on offering your body as the appetizer and men will not stay around for the main course. They won't stay around for the rest of the meal. Why should they? They've tasted the goods. They have no reason to stay around. And and here's the thing, ladies. All your relationships will end the same way. And it will be your fault because you will have said, this time will be different. All right, ladies. I'm back on the dudes now. Verse four. Sometime later, he, Samson, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, if you, if you have to go to a valley, is a valley down or up? 
He's going down again. And see, here's the deal. He is sexually addicted. His addiction is getting worse and he's doing more and more dangerous things. Verse five, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, now here's the deal. The first couple of things, it was local authorities that were coming to try to capture Samson. Now he's a national menace. So the leaders of the whole country, we think there were five of them come and they say this to her. See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him. So we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1100 shekels of silver. So 5,500 shekels of silver. We think this is about a hundred thousand dollars in today's dollars. So Delilah's said, okay. She said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Could she be any more obvious here? Hey, Samson, you hunk. How can I subdue you? Samson says, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. I'm asking the question, why was he want to be as weak as any other man? Now, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that Samson was this big he-man. I think he may have been a regular dude. And when the spirit of God came upon him, he did supernatural things. So if, if you're the Philistines, see the Philistines believed in magic potions and stuff. And so if the, if, if to get a curse, you have to put in a couple of bat's wings and, and eye of newt and all of that stuff, you put in two bat's wings, you don't put in three because the magic formula says you put in two. So if he says, go get bowstrings, then they're like, get bowstrings. There's gotta be something magical about it. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. And she tied him with them with, with, with men hidden in the room. That should just be, Ooh, because I think that what's going on here is there's alcohol involved. There is sex involved. So he's already violated the no grape principle earlier. And we don't even have time to read this. Sometime I'm going to come back and spend several weeks just on Samson's life, but he'd already violated the no dead body principle. And he also caused his parents without even knowing it to violate the no dead body principle. So with the men hidden in the room, ooh, she called to him and says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. She ties him up. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And right here, the story should end. And Samson ran. Where'd he go? I don't know. He's headed for the hills. Run away. You know, in the New Testament, it actually says flee from sexual sin. Because when you're running, <laughs> you're not having sex. <laughs> Makes sense to me. He says, well, no. She says, oh, you made a fool of me. And he says, no, it's not bowstrings. It's new rope. And they're like, oh, here's the, here's the trick. So what do you think she gets? New rope. He passes out. She ties him up. They're in the room again. The Philistines are upon you. He jumps up. He pops off the ropes like they're nothing. She's upset. You made a fool of me. How can you be tied? And he goes, well, okay. If you weave my hair, uh uh-oh, he's getting close to the secret. He's violated the first two Nazarite vows. Now he's, he's getting real close. This is dangerous. He said, if you weave my hair and you put this special pin in it, then I'll be as weak as any other man. So same thing. Night of passion, night of drinking. Weave his hair, put the pin. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Hops up, pulls the pin out. He's still as strong as ever. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you and see, okay, a lot of you are thinking no man can be this stupid for a woman and every dude in the, in, over the age of 18 is going, yes, they can. There was this girl. 
She said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was, what? Sick to death of it. All right, ladies, I'm not finished with you. Some of you are very, very manipulative when it comes to sex. You use your body to control and to punish your man. Happens all the time because that's what everybody else does. And let me just tell you, you will pay for it because outward beauty fades and you will pay for using your body as what you have so much power. You don't even know. Janie and I had this conversation a while ago. You have so much power sexually, but if you use that to manipulate your man, you will pay. God wants your beauty to be inward because inward beauty lasts forever. And then if you have outward beauty to go with your inward beauty, bonus. My wife is more beautiful to me today than the day I married her. And she looked good back then. But I had this conversation with Caleb this week and, and he's dating this girl who's pursuing the Lord. And, and he, and he said, dad, it's so cool to be able to pray with her. It's so cool to, and I said, and I said to him, there's nothing more sexy than a woman who loves the Lord. It's just, it's beautiful to me. So the sex must have really been good because she used her body and her nagging to wear him down. And he says, I'm sick to death. And and he tells her, look what he says in verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. Dedicated to God, I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, yes, that's what his family said, but that's not how he acted. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. You see, Delilah, I'm a miracle baby and I shouldn't even be here in the valley of Sorek because you're not following after my God. I shouldn't even look at you. I shouldn't talk to you. But if you shave my head, are you kidding me? See, I think she's thinking about the hundred grand. And I think she's thinking about the fame because she's going to be a national hero. She's the woman who turned him in. So she calls for somebody. They have the night of passion. She calls for somebody. They cut off his hair. She says, the Philistines are here. And look what verse 20 says. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And here's, here's really bad words. You don't want to hear about you. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Worst words you can hear in the Old Testament, the Lord had left him and he didn't know. You don't want that said about you. And it's real easy to see when the Lord leaves somebody. So the Philistines seize him, they gouge out his eyes and they chained him to a, to this grain mill. And I think one of the last things, probably one of the last things he saw was this woman that he gave up everything for right before they gouged out his eyes. And I bet if we could have gone where, you know, they, they, they tie him to this big old mill and it's huge and he has to grind grain the last, the rest of his life. And I bet if while he's grinding that, if we could say, Samson, was Delilah worth it? What do you think he would say? Not a stinking chance. You see, Samson dies in shackles. He dies bound to the sin. That he wanted. And, and this is, this is where I'm going with this. 
When you go down to Tim, now you go down someplace you shouldn't be spiritually morally, you look around, you see something, you will be bound. This is what happened to Samson. He was bound by sin. And it wasn't the Philistines, it wasn't Delilah, it was his own choices to sin. He became enslaved. And your biggest regret in life happened when you said, nobody's going to tell me what to do, I'm going to do what I think is right. And you became enslaved to your sin. See, Satan's too smart to come at you with a frontal attack, ladies. If you're a teenager or, you know, you're single or whatever, Satan's not going to come to you and he's not going to go, look at that woman over there. She's got, she's got children from several different fathers. She's completely alone. She's strung out on meth and every tooth is falling out of her head. That can be you if you just sacrifice your virginity on the altar of some young, young man's lust. Cause, cause girls would go, no. So Satan says, God's rules are really restrictive. You should do what makes you feel good. Nobody's going to know. If you go down to Timnah, nobody's going to know. If you have sex this one time, nobody's going to know. If you, if you do this drug this one time, nobody's going to know. You'll get away with it. Do you ever get away with it? Bible says, be very sure your sin will always find you out. So you have no idea what God wants to do through you, what God wants to do through your children, through generations from now. John and I were talking about this this morning. People that that God has used us to lead to the Lord are now in positions much higher and greater than we could ever, than, than we are. And God used this little, this little conversation that we had to bring somebody into the kingdom. And now they're rocking the kingdom. You don't know what God wants to do through you. So surrender your marriage, surrender your kids, surrender your sexuality to God and learn to live from the inside out. Because 1,300 years after Samson, there was a man named Paul in the New Testament. He was writing a letter to the church at Corinth to people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the resurrected son of God. Look what he says. Do you not know? You you know why you start with do you not know? Because they did not know. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Samson, that came upon all the judges, the Bible says lives inside of a believer. If God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that means God has chosen you for something unbelievable in the kingdom of God. But you'll never get there if you live the way you think is right in your own eyes. It only happens When you follow God's way. So don't you dare live like everybody else. Do you not know? They didn't know. And some of you don't know. God is not keeping something good from you by saying don't have sex until marriage. God is keeping bad stuff from your life. And he wants to bless you with something better. And see, here's here's the question. Have you ever surrendered your body to the Lord? Have you ever said, God, I want you to be Lord of my sexuality? And some of you are going, no, and I never will. Well, here's the deal. From the stories you read in the scripture, from the stories of destruction that you have heard from friends and family, 
If you don't have them, I've got 32 years of stories I can tell you about someone doing something right in their own eyes and it never ends well. We should be afraid not to dedicate our bodies to God because we do not, this body does not belong to me. I gave it to Jesus Christ when I was six years old. I became a minister when I was 17. I said, God, I'll follow you. I'll do anything you want. I don't own my body. I don't own my decisions because if he's my Lord, if I want to be saved, he has to be boss. There's no part time in this deal with Jesus. Would you bow your heads for a minute? You should be afraid not to give your body to God. Because God wants to set you up for better relationships later. Some of you, some of you are feeling guilt right now. Because you've done it wrong. And let me just tell you this. Guilt is not from God. Guilt is from Satan. Guilt says, I want you to stay in your sin, wallow in it, never get better. But conviction comes from God. And God says, I love you just like you are. I'm such a powerful God that I can take even your mess ups in your past. And if you will honor me with your body, I will do something in your life that you can't even imagine. But you gotta confess it. And see, some of you, some of you have some, some stuff in your past. And, and the Bible says if you have sin in your life, then you confess it to God. He forgives us the sin and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But it also says if you want to get healed from your hurts, habits, and hangups, that you need some Christ follower that you trust. Cause in James it says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Some of you aren't healed because you've never had a human being God with skin on a a, a Christian that you trust their walk with Christ to share your deepest, darkest secrets with. You will not get well until you have somebody. And and I'm going to warn you, don't, don't just find anybody. You need to find somebody whose walk with Christ you admire and you tell them. And then this freedom starts invading your soul. It's what shelter from the storm is all about. It's what celebrate recovery is all about. We want people to be healed. We don't want you to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Father, would you dominate this place? Would you make us a place where we come and we honor you, not just with our pocketbooks, not just with our time, not with our calendar, but with our very bodies. And would you make this a place where there are safe, mature followers of Christ that we can share our hearts and our lives and our sins and our mess ups with so that we can be healed. It's, it's been my dream for new life from the moment we started. Help us to become that church. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.